Hey, good morning, church. Anybody excited to praise Jesus this morning? Come on, will you stand and join us? Ready to praise Jesus this morning? <laughs> Woo!
Well, we're going to uh, we're going to teach a new song this morning, and it's called Highlands. And uh, I thought about introducing the song and uh, describing it a little bit, but there's really no better way to do it than to just read from Psalm 23. Many of you know it by heart, probably uh, verses one to four. But uh, it's the even though I walk through the valley, um, but I'm going to read it from. The Passion Translation. I just love the descriptive wording of this, of this passage. It says, The Lord is my best friend and shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, a quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. May that be our prayer in every season of life. Amen. So I want to, I'm going to sing the chorus for you here so that when we get to that part of the song, maybe you can join us. So I will praise you on the mountain. I will praise you in the mountains in my way. You're the summit where my feet are. So I will praise you in the valleys all the same No less God within the shadows No less faithful when the night leads me astray You're the heaven where my heart is In the highlands and the heartache all the same You sing it out with us in my 
grave has no claim on me. Come on, sing that over your life this morning. Let's sing that one more time. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to Come on. Woo! Hey, that's a good word, isn't it? Jesus, we love you. We praise you today. God, thanks that you are our living hope. God, thank you that we can be free from, you, from chains, from burdens because of you, Jesus. And so, God, I just ask that this morning more of that would happen right here. We'd see people freed. We'd see people healed just miracles all over because of you today, Jesus. We want it. We want more of you. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, welcome to Union Chapel. Why don't you find a few people around you? Maybe you got to go to a different section or something. I don't know. Find a few people. Say hello. High five. Hey, we, we got some energy in the room today, don't we? I like it. I'm excited. I'm very excited about that. Hey, once again, welcome to Union Chapel, everybody. It's really good to be at church today with, with you, my family. So welcome. Hey, if you could just grab your bulletin for me really quick. We're going to be in that for the next couple of moments. On the inside, you'll find a connection card. If I could have everybody grab that connection card really quick and just fill it out for me. And then the offering buckets will come in a moment. If you can just toss them in those buckets when, when they come by you, that'd be awesome. If you don't want to do that, we have an app where you can uh, check in, record your attendance. You can find out what's going on around here. You can give on our app. It's, it's awesome. I like using the app. It's, it's a great resource. So, so one of those two things would be amazing. If it is your first time with us here at Union Chapel, if you're, or if you're relatively new to our family here, we just want to pause and say welcome. We're so glad you're here with us today. 
um, there's a few things that I, I do want to have you do for me if, if it is your first time with us or if you're, again, relatively new to our family. Um, one, on that connection card I just talked about, there's a first-timer box at the top. So as you're filling that out, just go ahead and check that. Two, uh, if you could pull out your cell phone and text the word welcome to the number right here on the screen behind me. This allows us to answer any questions you might have uh, and just really say thank you for being here with us. And then lastly, we have uh, something we call a connection room. You'll, you'll see right outside these doors, right after our service across from our welcome center where uh, some of our staff will be. We just want to say hi. We want to meet you, get to know you, and give you a gift. And, and again, just say thanks for being here. So one of those three things, if it is your first time with us. couple announcements. Stay with me. Are we listening? You with me? Awesome. One. Starting the first weekend of July, we are, are kind of shifting some of our service times around a little bit because Pastor Greg wants to preach a little longer. I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm sorry, June. Thank you. You guys should give the announcements. I'm not listening, though. Just kidding. Um, but we will have three service, three services, weekend services on Sundays as we normally do. The first one starts uh, 15 minutes earlier, so at 830 this one, you guys are lucky, no change, 10, and then the last service will, will be happening at 11.30. So one of those three, pretty simple. See you there. <laughs> and then last but not least, we do have Serve coming up June 17th through 21. Is that right, you guys? Thank you. <laughs> um, we have a lot of opportunities. Serve is going to be amazing this year. We're excited what, what God is just doing. He's stirring. Um, we would love to have you be a part of that. And so there's a bunch of, of different things that you can do to get plugged in with Serve this year. There's a bunch of information in your bulletin, so I'll refer you to that. And then last but not least, we have something called Bags of Love that you'll see out in the lobby. If you just want to grab one of those as you're leaving today, uh, we like filling those up with, with goodies and, and simple items and stuff, and we take them and we give them to people that need them. So great opportunities all across the board. I'm out of breath, okay? So I'm going to invite you to continue our worship this morning by taking up our offering. So if you are on the right side of your aisle, if you'll just grab that bucket really quick, our ushers will come and grab those here in a moment. And I'll get off the stage, so I'll pray. Lord, <laughs> thank you so much for today, God. Thanks for an amazing church family. Uh, we just unite together today, God, and we just say we love you and we praise you. We love you and we praise you. To your name be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. Great to see you. I'm Greg Paris. We're so glad you're here this morning. And welcome. Now, last week we celebrated Mother's and had a wonderful, honorable weekend and, and had a great time together. So we took a hiatus from this series we've been on called Goliath Must Fall. We're talking about five big things that tend to stand in our way from God's best design and plan for our lives. The five things are fear, Today we're talking about rejection, we'll talk about complacency, 
and anger and addiction. And we're just we're getting real with each other in this series because all of us, every last single one of us, suffer from all of those things to one degree or another. Now today we want to talk about rejection. Rejection is a real thing in real people's lives. And I've got great news for you, and I'm very excited about this message because I know it's going to help you. It's going to help you take the next step to set aside rejection and receive everything God has for you. So I hope you're encouraged about that. All right, we're going to pick up the story now of David Goliath, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll project the words, of course. Now I want you to look in this sequence, these verses 28 to 33, 41 to 44, Look for moments of rejection that are coming David's way, and we'll pick up from that and learn as much as we can, all right? So our custom is to stand to hear God's word. Thank you for doing that as you're able. Here's verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. Now Saul's the king. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, this giant. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. So now here's rejection from Eliab, his older brother, and from Saul the king. Now we pick up the battle, verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. So rejected from the giant as well. So may God inspire and encourage us through his word. Instruct us in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now, a short time ago, I gave an illustration in a sermon that I want to rehearse just again very briefly to get in your mind. It's the, it's the simple illustration of having a small child, an infant, in a, in a high chair, and you're feeding him that cereal, that pablum, you know, that little white mix that's really good for them, and you got the little spoon, and you, and you shovel it in, and they kind of spit it out, and you scrape it off their chin, you stick it back in, and you do all these gyrations and make all these noises and so forth, trying to get the baby to swallow what's really, really good for them, even though it's not easy. And so I want you to have that in mind as we work ourselves through this message this morning. Now, none of us want to feel like we're not good enough, not strong enough, not smart enough, not wanted enough. None of us want to feel that uh, left out or overlooked. But it happens to us. It happens to all of us in our lives from time to time. Sometimes it's big things that fester over time point of rejection or a season of rejection in your life that, that takes root in your mind and your heart. And as a result of that, you begin to experience insecurity or insignificance or a sense of abandonment. This can happen, for example, when your father doesn't stick around long enough even to meet you. Or your spouse walks out the door 
and now is living with another woman and her two children in another state. You know, devastating rejection. Uh, your parents split up when you were young, and so you were shuttled between two households growing up. Or a trusted friend just stopped returning your calls, returning your texts. You don't even know why. Or maybe someone precious to you that you love very much suddenly dies and leaves you. Your sense of rejection can be really big. Sometimes uh, rejection can come just from small things. Just the wrong word at the wrong time from the wrong person can leave a mark, you know, it can sting you and kind of leave a, an impression on your life. Um, sometimes it's just a little more subtle like that. When I was uh, just a boy, I grew up in a very small town. Our hometown of Boswell had about 1,000 people in it. And so the number of playmates you had in the neighborhood was limited because of the size of the town. And in my case, all of the guys in my neighborhood were older than me, at least two or three years older than me. So the guys I hung out with growing up were older and bigger and stronger and that sort of thing. And so it was challenging in, in that respect. Now, one of my good friends, his name was Larry Dalton, and Larry's family had a big barn on their property. And I'm sure in my memory it's bigger than it actually, actually was, but uh, it was a big deal. And the Daltons actually put a full court basketball court in the hay mound of this big barn. Now this was magic. And the reason it was magic is because now the weather couldn't stop us from playing hoops. We could go there anytime, any season, and we had an invitation and we could go to the, we could go to the barn, to the hay mound, and you climbed up this vertical ladder and had to push this board, you know, off of the opening, fl flip on the lights, and then you had to replace the board because that was part of the court, you know, up there, because you don't want to, you know, like an opening. And there were support beams, four of them, that came down, you know, that, that held up the roof, and the roof line was a little bit angled, so the shots from the corner, you know, were a little obstructed, but up out front, it was perfect. And when you're running full court up there, you got to navigate the, you know, the support beams because... Uh, Nobody wants that. So, but it was it was fantastic, and the and the Daltons played it up because about four times a year they would call an all an all town tournament. So teams would be assembled from the various corners of the town, and we'd all show up at Dalton's barn on a Saturday, and we'd have a big round robin tournament. So the best five guys in a particular three or four block radius would 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 build a team, and I was so excited about the about this tournament. And I didn't sleep much on a Friday night. I got there early on a Saturday morning. I don't know how old I was, maybe eight or nine years old. And I was, and I was just smaller than everybody else, younger than everybody else. And when I got there and I was ready, I just thought for sure I'd be on the starting five of my neighborhood. And when I got there, they'd already got the team together, and I was out. I was the odd man out. And I said, no, no, I can sub in. I'll just sub in. No, you're too little. You're, too, you're not good enough. <laughs> okay. And they took my ball, and they opened the door to the hay mound, you know, on the gable end where you would unload the hay, you know, back in the day. And they, so they opened the hay mound window, and they just took my ball and threw it out the window. I had to climb down. I thought, well, they've made a mistake. I, they, I climbed down. I went, got the ball, climbed back up, did the whole ritual. And I got there again, and, and one of the big guys grabs my ball, walks over to the window, and this time kicks it, and almost kicked it all the way back home. I got down, you know, and I took my ball and I went home. That's where take your ball and go home comes from. And it was devastating to me. 
Now, that was 55 years ago. How do I even remember that? And I remember it because of the same reason that you feel in small part or large part. Those of you who have actually experienced rejection in your life, that story I just told doesn't really make the meter move very, very far, but in your case, wow. And rejection in your life is like this cold wind that just kind of goes through every relationship and every season of your life. And you have to deal with it. You have to cope with it. It's very difficult. There are two manifestations of rejection in your life. Two sides of the rejection coin. On one side, we see insecurity and low self-esteem, low self-worth, self-loathing, even self-hatred manifest on one side of, of a life that's been rejected in significant ways. On the other side of the rejection coin, there's this tendency to drive towards success, to be perfectionistic, to climb to the top, to be the best, to be the first. And so there's this ambition to prove, wait a minute, you may have rejected me, but I'm going to show you that I'm worthwhile. And so that's the other manifestation of it. So regardless of the level of rejection, those are, tend to be the two most frequent manifestations of the effect that rejection has on us. And so we have to come to terms with it. When I was growing up, I mentioned this small town, when I went to kindergarten, there was only about 20 of us. And for the first seven years of school, I was comparing myself to about 20 people. Now, that's not too hard to do. There's only 20 of us, you know, you kind of fit in. But today, because of technology and social media and that sort of thing, you know, people tend to compare themselves. And now what's the test, test field? It's millions of people, millions of people. And folks tend to put all kinds of beautiful images and beautiful stories, you know, on their social media. And you get the impression in comparison, their life is perfect. My life is far from perfect. And so it just compounds this tendency to feel left out and excluded and rejected from the mainstream. I mean, let's just face it. Nobody's taking selfies of an acne breakout. Look at my face, it's a mess. Nobody does that. Yeah, I mean, you don't wake up in the morning with bedhead and gunk in your eye and say, hey, check me out, I'm something else. <laughs> People now in our culture, they're not, they, they're not only not using bad pictures of themselves, they're not even using real pictures of themselves. They're picking other people who are more handsome than they are and claiming that this is a picture of me. It's, it's really an upside-down world, but it all... It all stems from this need, this desperate need that all of us have for acceptance. Psychologists tell us that, that we are desperate for acceptance. And so rejection plays a huge part in keeping us from God's best idea and best plan for our lives. Let me just remind you that God will never ask you to compare yourself with anyone else. God will never ask you to run someone else's race. He will never ask you to work on someone else's timeline. He just won't. In fact, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And what he starts in you, he will be faithful to complete it. He will finish it in you. Now, that's good news, isn't it? 
Now remember the baby and the pablum? Swallow some of that. Swallow that. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. God's got an ideal for your life. He's got, a, he's, got, he's, got a, he's got a destiny in mind for you. And if he begins a good work in you, Almighty God is a faithful God who will see you to the end of that design and that dream. So be encouraged by that and receive that. Now in 1 Samuel 16, this, the chapter just before this encounter with David and Goliath, there's a prophet of God named Samuel. And he goes to the house of Jesse. This is David's father, Jesse. And Jesse has eight boys. And Samuel shows up at the farm and he says, Look, Jesse, one of your sons, God's told me one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. So bring your sons before me and God will show me which one's going to be the next king. Well, this is a big moment. So Jesse grabs his oldest and his strongest and his brightest son, Eliab, and he puts him in front of Samuel, and they just assume, well, he's going to be the next king. And Samuel looks at him, and he goes, nope, he's not it. So he goes, nope, next. And he, no, next, no, next for seven boys. No, he's not the one. And Samuel looks at Jesse, do you have any more sons? Well, there's one more. He's, he's the runt, you know. He's out there tending the sheep. He, you know, he's not much good for anything. Well, call him in. So here comes David. He comes ambling in. You can see maybe he's got mud on his face and he's chewing gum or something. You know, he's just not paying attention. And he walks in and stands in front of Samuel, the prophet. And Samuel goes, thus says the Lord, you're going to be the next king of Israel. And he takes the anointing oil and just pours it over his head in front of his brothers and his father. It's a big moment. It's a big deal. Now, this is a special moment for David and changes his worldview and perspective on the future. But what are you supposed to be doing to his brothers? And especially Eliab, who's the oldest and the strongest. What Eliab feels is rejection. Of course he does. And so he has to live with that. So Elijah felt rejected. And here's what we should know about people who are rejected. People who have been rejected tend to reject other people. Rejected people tend to reject others. Now, if you're in this category in some kind of significant level of rejection, this is just heads up to you because your tendency will be to reject the people around you just as you have been rejected. It's insidious that way. And so you have to monitor that and be careful with that. So David is rejected first by Eliab. And then when Saul, the king, finds out that David's interested in taking on this challenge with this giant, Saul calls David before him and he looks at him and he goes, Ah, oh, you're not big enough, you're not strong enough, you're not good enough, you're not anything enough to take on this giant. And so now Saul rejects David. He's rejected by his brother, and now he's rejected by the king. And maybe you've been there. Here are some quotes that have been offered to me over the years, rejection quotes. Uh, you're never going to do that. Or don't get any crazy ideas. Or don't get your hopes up. Or you're never going to accomplish that, not here, not now. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not worthy enough. You're not wanted enough. You're not anything enough. And finally, David's rejected by Goliath. Why does Goliath reject him? Because he's fresh-faced. <laughs> he's just walked out just being himself, and Goliath goes, Are you kidding me? You send a child out here to fight this battle? It's embarrassing. It's a... It's, it's, it's an insult. He takes offense that they send a boy out to fight him. 
because it diminishes his reputation. And so everybody is rejecting David. Now here's all I'm, here's all I'm saying. Rejection takes aim at us all. Rejection is something that all of us receive from time to time in life. And what I've observed as a consequence of that is that some people I know have incredible potential, incredible potential, but they don't seem to want to try anything bold because they don't want to fail. Watch how sick this is. Better to be mediocre than risk being rejected for some attempt in failing. How sick is that? How wrong is that? Gosh, some people have to win at everything to prove they're good enough. Reject me, will you? I'll show you, you know, that I'm beautiful enough, I'm worthy enough, I'm wanted enough. This is, not counter, this is counterintuitive. This is not common sense, but it's actually true, and I'll just let you absorb it after I say it. The most beautiful people in our culture are often the most insecure. It tends to work that way. Most people at the top of many categories are often insecure. The top model, the best athlete, the smartest person in the class, those with the highest status tend to have great insecurities. That's why psychologists remind us, and I've already mentioned, that we crave acceptance. We need it so badly. It's so important to our psychological and emotional and spiritual well-being. That's why some of you have friends, and you know you shouldn't have them as friends. But you do it anyway because they accept you. Some of you are dating people that you know isn't God's best idea and plan for your life. But you date them anyway because you feel accepted by them. It's a very powerful thing, this acceptance. Now, let me just take this sermon right now. And I, I can tell you're listening, and, and, and I know and I understand why. But, but listen to me. I want to pivot now. I want to pivot this message. And I want to turn it away from the symptom and, that we experience from rejection. And I want to turn it now to a focus on the cure for rejection. Are you, are you with me now? Now we're going to go to the outline. So if you have that handy, get ready. And I want to go through these, these ideas very quickly but I want to reassure you, and beginning with this statement, look up at the screen at this statement. This is, this is the most important thing I will say in this message today. Now look at it. The only thing, not one of the things, but the only thing that will help us move past the giant of rejection is to immerse ourselves in the acceptance of Christ. Now let that soak in. Try to assimilate that. Swallow that now. That's good for you. Swallow. Swallow that. The only thing that will help us move past the giant of rejection in our life is to immerse ourselves, to soak ourselves, to saturate ourselves in the acceptance of Christ. Now let me explain what that looks like. Here's the first point. Write this down. First, we need to understand the miracle of your creation, the way God has made you, why he has made you, the miracle of your creation. Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And so here's what we learn, that each one of us, 
are fearfully and wonderfully and reverently made. And could I just remind you, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make rejects. God doesn't make throwaways. You have been, not the person next to you only, you have been, been made reverently and wonderfully by God Himself. Look on the screen at verses 14 to 16 of Psalm 139. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. And that's an amazing truth, isn't it? That God knew all the days of our lives before there was one of them. He saw us when we were conceived. He saw us when we were formed in our mother's womb. He saw us. And he made us wonderfully and reverently, fearfully. A, this is an amazing miracle. It's the miracle of your creation. And let me just say, by the way, that you, you cannot square Psalm 139 with the abortion culture that we have in America and many parts of the world. It is impossible to square the teaching of the Scripture with the abortion culture that exists in our country today. Just... Obviously, FYI, you can't do it. It's not possible because the psalmist is reminding us that God had us in mind even before there was an us. He was aware of us and had plans for us and made us. So here's the point I want you to get. I want you to hear it. God made you uniquely, beautifully, intentionally, purposefully, wonderfully. You are a miracle of God's creative design. You're special, and there's no one like you. And that's the truth. Now, here's what you need to do. Swallow that. Swallow that truth. Immerse yourself in the acceptance of God. He made you just the way you are. He accepts you. He loves you. He forgives you. Swallow that. It's a miracle of your creation. It's a wonderful thing. That's, it's, it's a reverent thing. It's a holy thing. What you're wonderful in the eyes of God. Now swallow, swallow that. It's true. Now here's the second thing. Write this down. Revel in the mystery that Jesus chose you. Revel in the mystery of it, that you've been chosen by God. Look at Ephesians 1 on the screen. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship, daughtership, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. And that's a wonderful truth. That means from the very beginning of time, God chose you. It's a remarkable truth, isn't it? Long before you knew Him, He knew you. He loved you long before the world began. Before people decided whether or not you were good enough for them, God had already decided that he wanted you and his family. He said yes to you. He said, I choose you. I recognize you. I want you in my family. I want you in my life. Now, hopefully you've come to the place in your life where you've chosen him as well. That's the step we take by faith to say yes to this wonderful offer of adoption into God's family. Jesus lives for us and dies for us. And in turn, we place our faith and trust in Him. It's called the gospel. But we didn't choose Him first. 
He chose us first. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. So there it is, friends. This is the truth of eternity, that Almighty God, before the foundations of the world, chose you. He chose you. And He wants you to be part of His family. Isn't that a great thing? Now, can you, can you absorb that? Say yes to that? Thank, say thank you to that? Swallow. Swallow that. It's good for you. This is immersing yourself in God's acceptance. Now, here's number three. Write this down. Grasp how costly it was for Jesus to rescue you. Grasp it. Try to comprehend it. Ephesians 1 again. In Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. So there it is. See, the gospel, it's not just church talk. It's not just the part of a good sermon. No, no. It tells every human being what we need to know at the deepest part of our souls, that we have enormous worth to God. You have no idea what your value is. You totally, we totally underestimate how valuable and worthy we are in God's eyes. See, think about this. Faced with life without us, God imagined the future. God imagined eternity without you in it with Him. And what did He do in response to that? He chose to allow His Son to die for us. Faced with the whole idea that I would go through eternity as, as Almighty God without the people that I love and have created miraculously with me is unacceptable. So as a result of that, God paid an enormous price for you. So when you ask the average person, what's your value? What's your worth? What do you think you're worth? People especially have been profoundly rejected and say, I'm not worth anything. I'm worthless. I've been told I've been worth less my whole life. This, so I'm worthless. No, you're not. Watch, watch what God says about you, which is the truest thing about you. I'm going to put this on the screen. And in fact, I hope you'll never forget this statement for the rest of your life. You are worth Jesus to God. You are worth Jesus to God. Swallow. It's good for you. Swallow that. Now here's a fourth way that you can immerse yourself in God's acceptance. Live from acceptance, not for it. Live from a place of acceptance, a posture of acceptance, rather than living trying to gain acceptance. Our giant of rejection is not going to fall until we admit that we desperately need acceptance. Okay, we need it. So the good news is that in Christ we have everything we long for, everything we need. We are not working to gain His acceptance. We already have it. I don't live an honorable life. I don't try to, to live respectfully, faithfully, uh, honorably in relationship with God and with others in order to gain acceptance. I don't have to perform. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to be anything in order to gain God's acceptance. I already have God's acceptance. And friends, listen, He doesn't accept you because you're, because, because you're such a good boy or such a good girl. He accepts you because He made you just the way you are. He knew you from the foundations of the world. He, he paid a costly price for you. 
He sees in you inestimable value. There, you're the apple of his eye. You are accepted in the beloved. You already have his approval, his love, his forgiveness, his acceptance. You have it. So now go live your life in response to that acceptance, not in order to earn it. Let me remind you who's going to heaven. People who are going to heaven are people whose hearts are for God. Not the people whose life, life on the outside looks like it's all together. I promise you when we get to heaven, there are going to be people there we expected to see who won't be there. That person was so good. That person tried so hard. That person achieved so much. Why aren't they in heaven? I mean, they were like the best of the best. Why aren't they in heaven? Because their heart wasn't right. How did that guy get in heaven? How is she here? I mean, that, that, was a, that was a rocky trip they made. I mean, she was a mess. The whole, I mean, look at her, read her resume. It's a, it's a her life was a disaster. How did she get here? Because <laughs> her heart was right. She placed her trust in Christ, not on her behavior, not on her patterns. I'm telling you a thing now. You are acceptable in Christ. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or how far off the road you've been. God loves you, stands ready to forgive you, and has already accepted you. <laughs> it's a great thing. Look at Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. I'll put this on the screen. This is David again. He wrote this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you even care for them? Friends, that may be the biggest question of all times. I mean, think about the God of the universe, the God who made the heavens and the earth, almighty God, creator God, bigger than our comprehension, way bigger than we can even imagine. And yet God, this same wonderful God, is aware of us. He knows you. He knows you by name. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's staggering. I mean, David's looking, looking up into the immensity of God's creation, and, and yet he knows that God wants to have a relationship with us. The one who put the sun and the stars in place wants to have a relationship with you. I mean, David looks at all of this, and he goes, all of this, and God still cares for us? All of this, and yet the God of the universe still knows us? All of this, and God has chosen us and made us his sons and daughters? He loves us. He cherishes us. Amazing. Amazing. Psalm 8 goes on to say that God has crowned mankind with glory and honor. Again, just stunning. And it feels crazy even to think that God, the God of the heaven knows us. The, the creator of the universe knows who we are and that he's pursued us and he has, he has seen in us all this potential and this hope. I mean, we freak out when we get 30 likes on our social page. And Almighty God stands there going, yeah, but I accept you and cherish you. Wow. It's a big thing. So let's, let's summarize this. And back to the point, the only way that you can overcome 
this spirit of rejection in your life, to cause rejection to fall away from your life and influence your life. The only way to do that is by immersing yourself in the acceptance of Christ. And so David reminds us, and we rehearse these ideas, that we have been miraculously created by God, that we have been chosen by Him before the foundations of the world, that we, that we have been purchased, our redemption, our relationship with God has been purchased in the extreme price of the sacrifice of the Son of God, and that we are ultimately accepted in Him. And when David came, came to this conclusion and realized what God has done for us, this is what he says, and this is our last verse. Look at it, Psalm 8, verse 9. Look at it. He just simply said, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When he realized what God had done for him, and it wasn't about him trying harder, but about trusting Almighty God more. When he realized that this is what it's about, this is how you overcome your giants in life, he just paused and realized the source of all of his hope. And he said, oh Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let me just remind you, friend, that worship, the worship of Almighty God and rejection can't live in the same house, can't be in the same mind, can't be in the same, the same life, the same heart. And if you recognize the grandness and the greatness of Almighty God, His love and forgiveness and acceptance toward you, and you find worship welling up inside of you, this is how you immerse yourself in the acceptance of God. And you will watch rejection and fear and anger and all the other issues of life begin to fall away from your life because of the profound grace provided by Almighty God. Amen? Did you hear it? Did you get it? Did you swallow that? Swallow that. It's really good for you. Really good for you. Let's pause and pray. Oh, God, help us to rediscover the miracle of our creation. Help us even to revel in the mystery that you, oh, God, have chosen us. Amazing. Help us to wrap our hearts around the huge cost that was paid to rescue us to turn our hearts toward you through the one who's already pursuing us. And Lord, thank you for the grace to overcome rejection found in your acceptance before the foundation of the world, your acceptance of every single one of us. Lord, help us. Help us to absorb this, to assimilate it, to be immersed in it. Help us to swallow these life-changing truths. We pray in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. Would you stand with us?
Are you at peace? Is it well with you? Here's a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Peace in your heart, peace in your mind, peace in your soul. Peace forevermore at peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.